Well, we have just a couple weeks left in our series, The Domino Effect, in which we have been looking at stories throughout Scripture and learning about how through our faithfulness, God is at work. How through our faithfulness, there is a domino effect for God's kingdom. And I can't stress enough the importance of the fact that God invites us and expects us to participate in his redemptive story. So this morning, I want to begin with a question. What is your purpose? What is your purpose? I'm, ex I'm assuming, except for maybe that half percentage of us who's known from a very young age what we were going to do, all of us have wrestled with this question. What's your purpose? Who are you meant to be? What are you supposed to do? These questions are often accompanied with levels of anxiety. And as someone who switched their major in college three times and still ended up going back to school, I can admit I've wrestled with such questions and emotions, wondering, who am I supposed to be? Well, answering these questions often requires identifying specific things in our lives, whether that's giftings, talents, or a knack for this or that, or things that we're interested in or have a passion for. But that's not always that easy, is it? For instance, my eyesight is bad. I'm tall, but I'm not exceptionally tall. I am not by any means physically strong, if you can't tell. I can't sing and I can't dance. But there is one thing I do seem to have a knack for. Committing to memory, useless sports facts and trivia. <laughs> My wife Abby will tell you that she doesn't like watching sports with me because it seems like I always come up with some obscure fact or statistic right before the commentators do. And she tells me, you should have been a commentator. I guess at least I'm talking for a living. But I can tell you this player went to that college, or last year that player led the league in XYZ statistic. For some reason, those things stick in my memory. But you see, this is also an important reason why we have community. But because we're able to see and identify in others their God-given talents and gifts. Those things that they have been blessed with that maybe they don't recognize themselves. And we can help them to better understand how they are to use those gifts and talents for God's kingdom purposes. And so this morning, we are going to invest our time in the final parable Matthew records in his gospel. Our scripture reader for today is Michael Danielson. So Michael, go ahead and make your way to the podium. And if you're able, we ask that you please stand, face the center of the room. We read from the center of the room because we believe that scripture is central in our lives and we stand because we believe that this is indeed the authoritative word of God. So Michael, whenever you are ready, you may go ahead and read Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. 
Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained you five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have had received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you, Michael. You may all be seated. Investing your talents. That is the title of our message for this morning. Investing in something means that you believe in something's future potential. If you invest in a company, you expect that that company will achieve certain results and you, in turn, will receive some sort of gain or benefit on your investment. Well, since we're going to be discussing investments, I thought it might be in my best interest to write a disclaimer. So, Pastor Devin Rook is not liable for any losses or damages that occur from the misuse or misappropriation of your talents or otherwise from any action, inaction, or decision taken that jeopardizes your talents. And the content of this sermon is not an exhaustive account of spiritual gifts and does not constitute divine advice. Please consult God through prayer, his holy word, and faithful discernment for guidance and direction as the purpose and calling he has for you and your God-given talents. Okay. Now, in all seriousness, though, Many of you may be wondering or have noticed that our translation does not say talents, right? It says bags of gold. Well, if you grew up in the church or are familiar with this parable, you probably know it as the parable of the talents. Well, this is most likely because of a translation discrepancy. Because 
if we look at verse 14 in the NIV, it translates a Greek word as wealth. This word, this noun translated as wealth is often translated as property. But at its core, it's a verb that means to possess. And talanton, or the Greek word for talent, at its core, originally simply defined a unit of weight of about 75 pounds. Well, this is a great example of how languages are not one for one when translating. And the wild thing about Greek is that word order really doesn't matter. So in Greek, backwards you can speak, like Yoda, and no one would know the difference. It's all about understanding Greek conjugation and how the Greek language uses its verbs. But at this point, that's a sidebar. What's important to recognize and understand is that this is the same parable that you have heard when you've heard the parable of the talents. But maybe the more important and insightful information to know is that the Greek word, again, talanton, translated talents, is where we get our present-day derivative of talent, which describes one's gifts or abilities. It comes from this parable. Now, parables themselves are comparison stories. They're allegorical in nature. And so, again, the point is that the lesson that this story is teaching us is the important part, not necessarily the specifics of how one word is translated in this, in this instance, because regardless, it's teaching the same lesson. And this parable is an allegory for purposeful living and the responsibility we have to the kingdom of God. Which brings us back to the opening question of what's my purpose? And if we get more specific looking at our passage, we understand that maybe the question should be, what is God's purpose for my life? And how is he equipping me for that purpose? You see, we all have a general calling, right? Like, we're all called to love God and to love our neighbor. And we can go beyond this and look at Jesus' great commission too and say that's a part of our general calling, to go and make disciples of all nations. But in our general calling, we're all called in different ways. But we are all called to be good stewards. Now a steward is someone who is designated for the careful or careful and responsible oversight or management of something that has been entrusted to them. But when we think about responsibility and how it's attained, how do we usually think about it? We usually think about it in the sense that it is earned. Responsibility is usually a good thing and it's something that you earn. And the more responsibility you have, then in turn, the more you earn, right? We think of it in worth. We think of it in value. But in culture, maybe too often in that context, we hear things like, I'm self-made or they're self-made, a self-made millionaire or billionaire, right? But that's not really true, is it? Like, that's really not true. And if we look at our parable, we can see why. The master's servant, the master gives his servants his wealth. He entrusts them with his wealth. 
Now, entrusting is different than paying. There is no sense of obligation. If I entrust you with something, I have confidence that you are going to take care of it, that you will manage it wisely. Just like if you entrust me with your car, I'm going to drive it like I stole it. Just kidding. I'm going to try and make sure it comes back to you in better condition than when I received it. But if you re-roof my house, I'm not necessarily entrusting you with all that much if I'm then paying you for your services rendered. So this man is entrusting by willfully giving to his servants his wealth. And it says according to their abilities. Now again, it's important to remember that talent as a unit of weight was equivalent to about 75 pounds. So these are 75 pound bags of gold. That's a lot of gold. That's equal to approximately 20 years wages in the first century of a day laborer or a servant. So whether it's five bags, two bags, or one bag, it's an exorbitant amount of money. And so the different in denominations of money here really is not necessarily about uh, how much these servants were worth so much as it's simply designating metaphorically they're given according to their abilities. Different abilities. So if we understand this parable as a comparison story, we understand ourselves to be like the servants and the master going on a journey like Jesus. Then we can begin to recognize that being self-made is not real true. That it's not of our own doing. But that everything we have, whether it's our time, our talent, our property, our wealth, the breath in your lungs, whatever it is, it is from God. And in this parable, it is the actions taken by those who receive that is at the heart of the message. And Matthew places this parable, actually, amidst a series of parables known as the parables of judgment. That sounds a bit condemning or uncomfortable, doesn't it? The parables of judgment. But it is, and it's important to understand the seriousness of it. That indeed it is about judgment and recognizing that we have a just judge. And a day is coming when we will stand before the judgment seat. When we will have to give an accounting of ourselves and what we have been given. In his letter to the Romans, Paul writes, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. That sounds a bit intimidating, doesn't it? And maybe it is. Maybe it's supposed to. But I also want to be clear that this does not mean that your good works are earning you your salvation. They are not what justifies you. But what Paul is reiterating here is something that, he is, that is found in Matthew 7 in Jesus' own words on the Sermon on the Mount when he says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Pastor and leadership podcaster Carrie Newhoff points out that very few people get judged into life change. Far more get loved into it. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking of the Pharisees. Those who were too preoccupied and worried about putting others in their place in order to lift themselves up, judging others in order that others would see the righteous things that they were doing. That they in turn then failed to see what God was doing. You see, they praised God with their lips, but worshipped themselves in their hearts. So now let's connect that to the parable that we're looking at this morning. If we look at the parable, it's evident that most of the attention given in this parable is to the third servant, the one that the master calls lazy. It tells us that the first two servants, having received this large sum from their master, went at once to invest it in order to grow it, and they do because they honor what their master has given to them. But the third servant goes and buries it in the ground to preserve his master's capital. You see, in actuality, the third servant was really only worried about himself. Here's what belongs to you, he tells the master when he returns. Maybe he looked at the first two servants and thought they were being fools for going and gambling their master's wealth. But yet, when the master returns, what does he say to them? Well done, my good and faithful servants. See, here's the key, that when entrusted with these bags of gold, whose interests did the servants have in mind? The interests of their master or the interests of themselves? I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. I was afraid. And when the master responds, he says, you wicked, lazy servant. The least you could have done was put it in the bank. See, what's clear in this story is that the third servant did not love his master. And just to clarify that when we think of servant, we often tend to think of slave, right? But in the Jewish context, it would have been understood as someone who was a day laborer or someone who was in charge of managing things. So including a master's personal affairs or business affairs. And they worked for a specific wage. And so this isn't one of those situations where like, yeah, well, of course they didn't love his master. No, he was, they would have been getting paid, And now this master has entrusted him with a 75-pound bag of gold. 
Clearly, he trusted his servant. Clearly, he loved him in this way. To say, take care of this while I'm gone. Yet the servant did not receive this bag of gold, this sum of money with love, but with fear. Instead of being grateful for what the master has entrusted him with, he was only worried about his own security. Instead of seeing it as a gift, he saw it as a burden. That's not good stewardship. Stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something that is not your own, but has been given to you by another. And so when we begin to recognize that our time, our talent, our money, our property, whatever it is that it's been given to us by God, the question becomes, how are you stewarding it? Famous author and motivational speaker on, on love, Leo Buscaglia, said, Your talent is God's gift to you, and what you do with it is your gift back to God. Now, we could unpack this in depth, but the main point is understanding that what God has given you is a gift, and it is not meant to be kept for yourself, but it is to be used on God's behalf for his purposes. And this passage teaches us that not only will God receive the benefit, but we will too. We are to be good stewards, understanding that what we have been given freely is not ours to keep. 1 Peter 4.10 says that each of you should use whatever gift you have been given or you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We are to be stewards of God's grace according to our abilities. And if we go back to the theme of judgment in this parable, it's important to know and I want to stress the fact that we are justified by faith alone through grace alone, not our, not our good works. No, it is only Jesus Christ's amazing act of grace in going to death on the cross that saves you. And that is the comfort that we can find in judgment, that the price has already been paid And that sets us free from fear. But a true faith is also evident in its genuine acts of faith and service to others. Jesus expects us and to invest, to be involved in his kingdom work. And another small detail we can't miss, we cannot miss this, is what does it say about the first two servants? When did they go? It says, at once. There is a sense of urgency. It's not, I'll get around to it someday. I'll get around to it next week or next month. It's at once. There is a sense of urgency, not knowing when that day will come. But investing involves risk, right? And that can be scary. It could be our livelihood, it could be our talents, it could be our reputation, it could be possessions, whatever it is. 
Remember, it's been given to you by God. And if you're keeping it all for yourself, you're not being a faithful steward. But because he was afraid, the third servant didn't do what he knew he was supposed to do. And someone who goes and buries the gifts of God doesn't trust in God. So what do you or I need to go dig up, brush off, and run to the foot of the cross with and say, Jesus, your will be done. Because the only way to invest your talents is to first trust in Jesus. You're not or you definitely should not be investing in something that you don't believe in. That's not a wise investment strategy. You should trust in Jesus. Maybe a tangible analogy is that it can be kind of like golf in the sense that if you know anything about golf, and even if you don't, follow along, I think you'll be able to understand, just bear with me. But in golf, you don't just have one club. You can have up to 14 different clubs. You've got a driver, a putter, your irons, a gap wedge, a lob wedge, a pitching wedge, a sand wedge. You get the point. You have different clubs for different situations. Now, in those situations, though, 99.5% of us who go and play golf fail to do one thing quite often. Trust our clubs. Let the club do the work. If you've been golfing, someone has probably told you that. For instance, a driver is meant to help you hit the ball as far as you can down the fairway. So you take a couple good practice swings, then you step up on the tee box, completely forget what you just did practicing, and swing as hard as you can and either miss or shank it off to the right or left. Or each of your irons or your wedges has a specific angle on it to give you a certain amount of loft, but then you try and put an angle on it and you hit it with the blade of the club and it shoots off in any direction. You get the point, right? We have a hard time trusting. But just like a golf club is a tool for you to reach a certain goal, so are the gifts and talents that God has given us. Tools to be used. But that goal is a far greater one than a flagstick down a fairway. It's the kingdom of God. It's a seat at the banquet table. And how we use those gifts and talents matters. Maybe you don't think you matter. Maybe you don't think you have much to offer. I promise you, you do. It may not be extraordinary wealth or an extraordinary talent, but maybe it's the ability to always see the silver lining or to see the good in others, or to come up with creative solutions in problem solving. Whether big or small, it doesn't matter. You are accountable for those things. And if we look at the end of the passage, I think we can see something else pretty darn clear too. What happens to the third servant? Throw that worthless servant into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yikes. 
But the undeniable fact is that this is a phrase that Jesus uses a number of times, and every time it points to the fact that those who do not belong to or trust in Jesus will suffer a terrible fate. And the risk of not investing or not doing anything with your gifts and talents is far greater than the risk of investing your talents for God's kingdom purposes. Maybe you're worried about how others may judge you or what they'll think. Well, guess what? Take comfort in the fact that you're, when you stand before the judgment seat, you're not judged by other people's standards. And this passage makes it clear that using those talents and faithful service to others in all that you do, that's how you demonstrate love for Jesus. It's not just about checking a box once a month or once a week, but in all that you do, recognizing all that you have as a gift from God. And how you use it demonstrates your love for Jesus. And you know what? There may be nothing worse than someone who claims to follow Jesus but doesn't act like Jesus. Because for the enemy, there's nothing better than a hypocrite. Now, of course, as humans, we fall short of Jesus' perfection. But that's also exactly why he came. Because he has given us a gift of abundant grace in order that we can be assured of our seat at the table, so that we don't have to live in fear, but that we can live fully and freely into his calling for our lives, because we know the hands that hold us in the end. We know who's in control. One of our confessions in the Reformed Church is the Heidelberg Catechism. And it's meant to be a teaching tool that's broken down into question and answers. And question and answer one, uh, the most famous of them, captures the essence of this passage and what it means for us to live fully for Jesus. It says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. For he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of my eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. 
Investing your talents, being a good steward is a way of living, not just praising God with your lips, but worshiping him with every part of your being, your body and soul. And when you do so, as we've been saying all along in this series, you have no idea the domino effect we can have when we are faithful. How God will work through your talents and your gifts to reach beyond you in ways you can never imagine for his kingdom. That you have the ability to impact generations through using your gifts and your talents. And that you have been given the gift of God's abundant grace in order that you can live into those things without fear. You can live into them freely and fully and invest in something that is far more precious than five bags of gold. And you will impact people beyond measure. And until the day that we all should be longing for, that day when each and every one of us goes before the king, before the judgment seat, and for Jesus to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your son. We give you thanks for his sacrifice on the cross who brings us back into communion with you through our amazing grace, who assures us of our seat at your banquet table. And I just pray that you would help us to understand that because of that gift and the gifts that you have given each and every one of us, the unique gifts that we have, that we are called to go out and to use those for your kingdom, that you have invited us to participate to be a part of your story. And what an amazing gift that is, Father. And so I just pray that as we go from this place this morning, you would empower each and every one of us. You would give us the courage to stand up, to stand out, and to live into those gifts. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Well, throughout this series, we have had a domino challenge at the end of each message. And so thinking of the word talent, the spectrum of its meaning, whether it's money, physical talent, gifts, uh, spiritual gifts, whatever it is that God has given you. What talents are you maybe keeping to yourself right now that God's imploring for you to give away, to share with others, to use for his kingdom purposes? Well, I want to encourage you, there's a spiritual gifts assessment on a table just outside the worship center. And uh, I would just encourage you to pick one of those up. It's got uh, some questions on it. You go through it, and uh, you might be surprised as to, to where uh, God's pointing you. Maybe area of your life that um, you weren't aware of that you were gifted in, that now you want to, or that he's now pushing you to go use uh, for his kingdom. So uh, grab one of those on the way out. It's a great way for you to intentionally take that step of faith and service to God's kingdom. Maybe you'll discover something or a way that God's inviting you into deeper relationship with him. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, receive this blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with, with each and every one of you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.